Hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? Got a nice little uh, off day here and uh, just hanging out, chatting White Sox. This is White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I'm here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Uh, you know, same old, same old. Uh, getting tired of watching a White Sox team come out and you know, lose the first game of a series and then, uh, you know, blow somebody out the next day. I feel like it's a broken record. You know, the whole uh, score eight runs one day, score none the next day, and average out for about a total of four runs over the course of the season. Uh, And, uh, you know, the stat ends up looking uh, a bit misleading. So, yeah, other than that, I'm great. I'm fantastic. How about you, man? Yeah, not too bad, you know. Uh Got a question from Ghost Max in the uh, in the chat. Is Tony getting fired after this year? That's a tough one, man. I Ugh. would like to say that it's not a foregone conclusion that he's still here. Um, but I don't know. Jerry Reinsdorf, it's his team. He owns it. And uh, he's going to run it the way he wants to run it. And that's what we've seen Indeed. so far. Um. He also says, and do you think Tim should still bat leadoff? Well, that's something that we're going to talk about here. Um, that's a that's a rough one as well. Um, yeah, this uh, this last weekend, uh, super busy. Um, had a show every day on the weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that was, uh, you know, not much of a weekend there. Um, no, these, these weekends are starting to feel more and more like uh, coffee breaks, man. I tell you, yep, pretty much. Um, yeah, and I, the, the the worst part about it is, is that you know, even if my show gets done early and I can watch the White Sox game, I get treated to uh, two runs for the first two games, and then they get shut out and get two hits uh, in the next game. Uh, yeah, that's rough, man. Um, Dane Dunning just made them look silly. I couldn't touch him. Did you expect anything less, honestly? I mean, well, you know, they traded him away. His first season after trading him away, they, uh, you know, he looked like he could, you know, he came out of the gate looking like he was going to be a stud in Texas. Uh, you know, by the end of the season, he kind of started to show, you know, that he was human. And uh, the following year, you know he's he's been the he's, he's been I don't know I want to say without looking at the stats right now he's been about a, like a four ERA kind of pitcher so not overwhelmingly awesome not terrible but uh, you know he played for the White Sox for a short time and uh, you know it just seems to come back to bite us in the butt every single time you get a guy that uh, goes somewhere else and then we face him and uh, he makes us he makes the team look silly. Yeah, it's been um, up and down for him, but uh, it was nice of the uh, White Sox to uh, give him his career best performance uh, the other day. Yeah. So um, more of the same from, uh, speaking of more of the same, uh, Dylan Cease looking good. Um, You know, only six innings, but uh, dominant again, which can't complain about that. Yeah. you know, yeah, just, he uh, he he's he's one of those guys. I mean, you know, the the whole record thing 
that I'm sure everybody has heard about by this point now with the uh, 13 straight appearances uh, or 13 straight starts giving up uh, one or less earned runs in those starts. And, uh, you know, some of those starts have not been pretty. Even though he's only given up that one earned run, he's, you know, he's gotten his pitch count up high early in games a few times and put some runners on base. Uh, Defense has allowed some runners. But the thing that I really, really, really love about Dylan Cease, and I really love about watching him right now, and I feel like he could be one of those generational talent kind of guys, is that uh, he seems to find his way out of jams. He doesn't let himself get flustered. Uh, when he gets into a bad situation, he uh, stays focused, works his way out of it. Yeah, cannot say anything bad about what he's doing right now. Yeah, that's and it's a that's a welcome scenario as well uh, because we've seen, you know, among other uh, other members of the rotation, you know, where you see them uh, get some adversity and then they kind of, you know, fold under the pressure, if if you will. Um, it's, uh, it's nice. You know, there's, there's still some, uh, some waste pitches going on there that'll, uh, build his pitch counts, but, you know, I mean, it's hard to argue with the results when you give up like, uh, was it like four runs in his last nine starts or something like that? I, when you do something like that, it's, it's hard to argue, you know, even with even with the walks, he had three walks the other day, and uh, the the strikeouts weren't particularly high, but just the fact that nobody can seem to square it up all that well, and he doesn't give up barrels is, you know, right phenomenal. Um, right. So mention in the chat why isn't Montgomery in Double A and Colas in Triple A? Um, so uh, first one first Montgomery. Well, he just got promoted to uh, Advanced Day. And it's his first, uh, it's his first pro season, and uh, he's twenty. So, um, I don't. Words right out of my mouth. It, it's possible that they move him up to Double A before the end of the year, but I kind of doubt that. Uh, just for, you know, judging by track record of how the White Sox seem to operate, is that uh, he'll probably finish out this year in Winston Salem, and he'll probably start next year in Winston Salem. And then, uh, then they'll bump him up to Double A if he starts off hot. And something that we have talked about on here before, well, at least I talked about it, um, is that it's his first pro season. The guy's never played more than you know sixty, seventy games in a season, and right. you're starting to, you know, I mentioned it when his uh, his on base streak ended, uh, right right after the All Star break, uh, that. You know, he's entering new territory. He's never played this many games in a season before, and that's even despite missing um, some time with a hand injury. And um, his uh, his offensive numbers have slowed down a little bit. And it's not that he's not looking like a like a you know good player anymore. He still looks he still looks the part. Um, it's just that the, uh, the results haven't necessarily been there for the last couple of weeks. Um, it's been a couple of offers in there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to challenge him too much right off the bat. I'm pretty sure that, you know, if they had, you know, their ultimate scenario, yeah, he would, 
you know, be hitting 385 in advanced day and they would move him up to double A, but that's just not, uh, you know, that's not what's happening. Um, he slowed down a little bit and, uh, you know, that's probably going to, uh, you know, stall the, the ladder of his progression just a little bit. I mean, I don't, you know, this is, uh, you know, pretty much, pretty much best case scenario, what you've seen out of Colson Montgomery so far this year, you know? Absolutely. Um, he, absolutely. You know, know, there's a lot of talk uh, about, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Do you happen to uh, catch today that, uh, baseball America has him now ranked as the 38th best, uh, prospect in baseball? Uh, I had not had an opportunity to see that yet. Uh, You know, uh, I actually got out of work at a decent time today and uh, had some other things that I needed to, uh, they they just needed my attention. So I hadn't, you know, really had an opportunity to see that yet. But, uh, you know, it's well-deserved, honestly. Uh, The kid's just polished. He looks polished for uh, the ripe old age of 20 years old. Yep. Uh, And, you know, I expect to see uh continued improvement out of him like you said this is going to be the first time that he is playing as many games as he will play this season uh and you know that'll take a toll on somebody when you're not used to it so it's not shocking that his numbers are falling off a little bit he may even regress more as the season continues uh it's kind of natural for someone that you know who isn't conditioned for that to uh you know start to get a little tired um but at the same time i mean he looks like he is just one of those guys who not only is he naturally gifted, but uh, he's got a he's got a, a what seems like from what I'm you know just the, the little bit that I have seen of him he seems like he's got a really high uh, baseball acumen. Uh, his IQ is is uh, it, it's it's seeming seemingly off the charts. I guess yeah, is what it's, I'm it's good. To say. It's good. I mean, there's there's definitely some uh, some work to be done. I mean, it's not like he's a finished you know major league product already. Well, again, he's but, twenty. Yeah. So, you know, it's, he's, he's fun to watch the little bit that I have seen of him. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch and, uh, I don't know. I expect great things. And what I was starting to say a minute ago was that, you know, there's been talk over the years about the white Sox, you know, drafting, uh, early first round draft picks, you know, not having success and, you know, why aren't the Sox able to develop guys? I even saw something recently about, uh, you know, since Rick Hahn has been the GM of this team and, you know, him and Kenny Williams have just not seemed to get it right. But the reality is, is if you go back and you look at some of these first round draft picks, Rick Hahn was promoted to full GM duties. I think it was 2013 or 14, 13. Cause uh, his first first round draft pick was a one Tim Anderson. Now, aside from recent struggles, Timmy's been pretty stinking good. And you can go down that list. Sure, there are guys in there like Carson Fulmer, and you know, uh, you know, there's a handful of other guys in there that, that have not done anything or have not even played, you know, a game in the majors. But every team's got first rounders that do that. Not every first rounder makes it. Not every first rounder is going to be a stud superstar. So you know, the reality is, is if you go back and you look at you know 2013 on. White Sox have quite a few guys drafted in the first round who are doing some things and at least playing at the major league level. 
You know, so I, I wouldn't complain about it too much. Yeah, if you want to go back to like 2000, 2001. <laughs> you don't want to do Ray, that. You don't want That's to do that. That's the last thing you want to do is think about that nonsense. So, you know, I, I just give the kid time, really, honestly, is what, I guess what I'm getting at. But I have no complaints so far. Like I said, he looks uh, he looks the part. And uh, with a little bit of time, I expect big things from him. Yeah. I mean, just for just for context, you know, in his last nine games, which is the last two series that he's played in, he's hitting 188. I mean, granted, he's still got a 350 OBP, but, uh, you know, because he, he walks and he's got a, a nice plate approach and uh, good eye. So that's, you know, that's th- what they say is that, you know, a good eye and good plate approach is not going to, uh, nec- you know, it's not going to slump as much as... Uh, you right, know, your batting average will. So, you know, there's that. I mean, he hasn't hit a home run in a while. Um, I can't remember actually the last time he did. Let's see, his last home run was on July 17th. So it's been a while. Um, he hit a uh, his first triple at uh, Winston Salem, and um, that one was close to a home run. I think it was like two feet, you know, like two three feet short of being a home run. Um. But he hasn't, you know, he has, his power hasn't really been all there, you know, all that much to speak of in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It's going to take him a little time to uh, establish himself in the grind, you know. He's not right. uh, he's not used to running out a 140-game season, you know. Which is right. And, you know, he, he, he just did, like you said, he moved up in uh, – in, you know, he moved from uh, the lowest part of the organization to the next level up, where the competition's gonna be just that much more stiff. Yep. And <clears throat> you know, he's he's it's gonna take some time to uh, you know kind of get up to the speed of that next level. You know, some guys make the jump and they can jump and jump and jump and just keep, continue off where they are. But you know, like you said, uh, he made the jump and kind of rolled right into the All Star break and got some time off. And, you know, as we all know, having some days off is the quickest way to cool a high bat. Uh, unfortunately, Tony Russo doesn't seem to know that, but, you know, that's uh, neither here nor there at the moment. But, yeah, you know, it's just it's one of those things where it's kind of the perfect storm of, you know, having some time off, moving up in competition, and, again, you know, stretching out a season that he's never had to uh, play that many games before, so... You know, I'm not exactly concerned or even slightly worried at all about uh, what's happening with him right now. Yeah, no, not so much. I mean, it's just one of those things. Yeah, Mark Orr chimes in that uh, with a six foot four frame, he will grow into his power, and uh, I can't disagree. Uh, you know, he's just going to get stronger, and uh, you know, hopefully, we figure out how you know that uh, keep that. Uh, speed unlocked you know and don't weigh him down too much hopefully he stays uh stays quick gets keeps that uh that back that basketball uh you know lateral movement uh at peak speeds let's hope uh keep him at shortstop um now moving on to uh to colas um so the issue with colas was that he hadn't played organized baseball in almost two years. Um, I think that there was some sort of a, uh, a contract issue with him in Japan before he came over, so he wasn't playing at that point. And then uh, when he signed with the White Sox, he had to wait 
so he didn't really get uh, much real competition at that point. And, um, you know, it took him a little while to uh, to start getting the hang of things in uh, Winston-Salem. And he also had a hand injury or a wrist injury. I'm not exactly sure which, but there was a, there was a hand injury in there. So his power when he was at Winston-Salem didn't start to really, you know, show up uh, consistently at least until, you know, halfway through his, his time at Winston-Salem. And, uh, you know, he, when the power started showing up and the uh, multiple walk-off wins that he, uh, that he had with uh, some base hits and whatever, and the bat speed started to show up. Um, I don't know if you know about this, Ghost Max, but uh, there was the uh, Instagram post that he posted saying that he was uh, tired of being a slave, and um, you know his uh, his account got uh, deleted for a day, and that got uh, erased. But um, you know, there it's one of those things where the guys that are coming over here, they kind of have to learn that, you know, at least a little bit of humility. I understand that he was ready to move up and his skill set warranted him moving up, but they were still, uh, they were moving a little bit slower on it than he'd like. And he, uh, he popped off and, uh, per my understanding, got a little bit of blowback from the, uh, from the franchise. And, um, he sat, he sat a game and, you know, there is that. When you're a young guy in the farm system, it's you know, it's uh, one of those things that you're better off meant to be seen and not heard. And uh, when you post something uh, as pointed as "tired of being a slave," you're probably gonna you're probably gonna catch a little flack for that. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. You know, I mean. You know, I, at the same time, you know, the the thing is, is that he's already been, he had already been to Japan and he had already played professional baseball. So right. when he comes over here and he's riding around on buses and, you know, sharing, you know, I assume that he probably had enough money that he wasn't sharing, but, you know, like, uh, it's, it's a little bit more, uh, smaller quarters for life in, uh, you know, advanced day baseball than in Japan. I'm, fairly certain um so you know there there's that um that said he's in double a now and it's it's a small sample size we're only looking at 16 games here uh but in 16 games he's got six home runs and 15 rbis and uh he's got a 177 wrc plus so um i guess that's all right yeah if it continues uh I would not expect him to stick in in Birmingham for too long. Um you know, it's not the uh the Luis Six Robert uh thing where you know he's got like a 230 WRC plus you know at a level. So it's you know he hasn't had anything that ridiculous yet, but uh you know he'll end up he'll end up getting bumped, I'm sure, cuz I I don't see him slowing down all that much. Um, so, and the power is starting to show up now and the bat, his bat speed is ridiculous and he plays a competent outfield, which, you know, a left-handed competent outfielder with a 
arm that's capable of throwing a 95 mile an hour fastball that might, yeah. you know, that might have some play in Chicago, possibly. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, he's not a veteran, sure he, so he might not get it at bats. But uh, you know, I was going to say, you know, he, he can bring him up. It doesn't mean he's going to get any playing time in the outfield. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lenin Sosa's up right now, and uh, he's sitting on the. Yeah, bench, why even so. bring him up to start Larry baseball? Mm. It just it's and that is extremely frustrating. Yeah. That's extremely uh, frustrating. The guy's got a WRC plus of like forty on the season, and uh, it's like negative to whatever it is against left-handed pitching. And we're just gonna that. let me look that up. It's been a while since I've looked at the uh, the legends numbers here. Let's see what his uh, WRC I mean, you know, plus for the year is. Does it really matter? It's not great. Forty six is my point. 46. There you go. Forty six. So I wasn't I wasn't off by that much. I said forty. Yeah, so 46 WRC plus. And yeah. then you've got Lenin Sosa, who is, uh, I don't know, he's he's hitting pretty well. Yeah, he's actually started to find his power in Charlie. He's got a couple of home runs, yeah. two home runs, uh, two games in a row uh, earlier this week, uh, or actually last week now. Um, did you, uh, you remember when we talked about Larry Garcia? I don't know, it's like probably like three, four episodes ago. And uh, his war was at negative 0.9. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, you know what it is now? I'm guessing it's worse. <laughs> no, it's not worse. It's just negative point nine. It's still the same thing. He hasn't same. <laughs> hasn't accrued anything uh anything positive in uh I don't know, about a month. So that's that's So something. this guy is a four point four war for his career going into twenty twenty. Or sorry, 2022 goes at the start of the 2022 season. So you know, like he's that, got yeah. close to a decade in the game. And now it's 4.4 or 3.4. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Johan Moncada's WRC plus is a 64. Um, why does Moncada suck? Well, um, I think that he this is a, for a while. Or. Yeah, no, there. Yeah. And the thing is, is that he's, He's he seems like he's pretty streaky, you know. Is when he figures it out, he figures it out. And right now, he's just not. Uh, he doesn't seem like he's comfortable. And um, I mean, the one thing you can say is that he's his defense is at least worth having out there, despite the fact that he's not finding it with the bat right now. You know. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of funny too. Uh, I saw a tweet from uh, Mister. James Fox, not that long ago, saying, you know, it, just stating Yoan Moncada's numbers since like the All Star break and how they were uh, they were looking pretty good, let's just say. And you know, it was like, ah, oh, it's funny what uh, being healthy can do for a guy. And it was it was like almost instantaneously the other yeah, as soon as dropped. that tweet came out, yeah. Oops. So. You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. So, uh, James, if you're listening, stop that. Stop it, man. <laughs> stop <Yeah>. it, man. <laughs> as, as they say, you're manifesting manifesting things. Um, bring Berger up for the offense. Well, Berger's on a rehab assignment right now. He's been hurt for the last month. So uh, he's just starting to get uh, rev back up down in Charlotte. Um, and he's just starting to hit in Charlotte the first 
I don't know, week or so of his uh, his rehab. He wasn't hitting much anything. It was weak ground balls, so you wouldn't have gotten much out of him anyway. And uh, the loss defensively of Mankata to Berger is uh, it's a there's a where Berger's defense is and where Yohan Mankata's defense is. There is a big chasm in the middle, and uh, the Jake's. Better than serviceable, I'll give him that. But he's, Yohan he's, Mankata he's okay, is but, an old glove caliber defender. Yeah, he's he's pretty stinking close. I mean, granted, he did have an error the other day, but it doesn't happen very often. So, um, you know, it, I and also you want to talk about contracts. You know, Mankata's owed what? Like uh, I think over the next. Two years, not including this year. I think the next two years or something like uh, it's close to thirty million dollars. No, it? it's forty something. I think it's like uh, yeah, I think it's like fifteen and twenty three or something. It's like thirty eight million or something like that uh, over that next two years. And I think then uh, if they decide that they want to move on for twenty twenty five, it's. Uh, Five million dollar buyout, so it's another five million. So it's like fifty three million dollars or something like that over the next uh, the next three years minimum. That's if they decide not to pick up the option. If they do pick up the option, it's like sixty something, like sixty eight million dollars or something over the next three years. So you hope that that he uh, that he figures it out because nobody's going to take a contract for a guy that's you know. Right now, currently, you're looking at negative 9.3 F war and uh, 3.5 defensive. So he's basically being carried by, you know, his .2 war is being carried by his defense. Um, nobody's really going to want to pick that up, I wouldn't imagine. I mean, however, you know, if they uh, had to uh, eat a bunch of salary and send him to Tampa Bay, I'm sure he'd probably turn into a 7 more player, you know? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. So, uh, anywho. So, so, go ahead. Oh, good. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, Tim Anderson leading off. Hmm. Are, we, yes. are, we, are we waiting to get to that? Nah, and there's or no reason to wait, is there? I mean, no, there really isn't. But, uh, you know, people can talk about the power numbers. Not be in there, but uh, you know, for the most part, this team, the power numbers aren't there. They're not hitting at home, but Timmy has not looked right since uh, you know all the drama has occurred in his life. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I am kind of up until recently, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in the in the one hole. But you know, when he, even when he does have a two hit, three hit game, they're all singles. Nothing's really mashed. You know, uh, he finds his way on base somehow, which is fine, and that's what you really want out of a, uh, a leadoff man, anyway. Uh, but you know, he doesn't walk like four percent walks ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would almost say yeah, but who's who are you going to put in the leadoff spot? On this team. Well, I mean, you know, I've heard people say Andrew Vaughn, and I'm like, Andrew Vaughn, you can't put him because you'll have, you know, the rest of the team running up his back. 
I mean, the guy is slow as he's slower than Pauly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't have you can't have him leading off. But you know, I don't know, uh, Robert. I could see leading off, but at the same time, I'd like to see some guys on base in front of Robert for when he's mashing five hundred foot bombs. Yeah, you know, I don't want to see a bunch of solo shots from him. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, what do you think, man? Yeah, I, the the issue is is that he's got forty eight hits in his last uh, since May twenty fourth. He's got like uh, what does he got? He's got forty eight hits. Forty two of them are singles. He's got six right. extra base hits. They're all doubles except for one home run. He hasn't hit a home run in. It's been a while. Um, he hasn't hit a home run since uh, July fifteenth. So it's it's been a minute. And, yeah, before um, that it was like May seventeenth or something, or May twenty seventh. I don't even remember. It was too far and few between. Yeah, I mean, you're talking since late May. He's got a seventy WRC plus. Um, I looked up his uh, his ISO earlier today, and his ISO in that time period is like oh forty three. So um, the fact that he doesn't walk. Um, and the fact that all he does is hit singles, um, you know, I, he's a table setter. Yes. But the problem that he's only hitting 257 and he doesn't walk. So his average and his OBP are like roughly about the same. So he's only getting on base, you know, one out of every four at bats, um, that's, I mean, that's that's tough to weather as well. I mean, that's another one. That's just another reason on the big old stack of problems with this White Sox offense. And uh, Ghost Max happens to mention his uh, his f- family issues, and uh, you know that kind of coincides with uh, with the date that uh, everything started to go kind of sideways. You know, between that and then there was uh, the groin injury. And uh, everything just kind of lines up. And, um, you know, like I don't normally bring up, you know, like we we haven't talked about that, like really at all. And it's how, uh, you know, I don't want to. rather not. Yeah, no, do you, but it's relevant. I don't wanna, it is definitely relevant that there is something floating around out there. We all know what the rumor is. Or we, you know, whether or not it's a rumor, whether it's been confirmed. I don't really know or care, to be honest with you. But you're right. There is definitely something that is not right about him since this news has come out. It's plainly obvious to anybody with a pair of eyes. Uh, that being said, you know, you you kind of hope that he can learn to leave those issues off the field. Uh I thought maybe that might have been the case. You know, we go back a couple of years where, uh, you know, his best friend was uh, brutally murdered and he went through that whole situation. And again, he went through a bit of a slump then. And, you know, uh, he attributes the team and and the staff around the White Sox organization to, uh, you know, helping him out and giving him the opportunity to uh, kind of work through his issues and whatnot. And I know this is a totally, completely different issue. And if it does turn out to be true, uh, that's just a really bad choice on his part. But, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get into the details of that, but 
you kind of hope that this guy is, like you say, he's your table setter. He's your guy who the last three seasons has hit over 300. Uh, one of the, you know, best contact hitters in baseball the last few years. Uh, really good leadoff, man. You kind of hope that, you know, he's grown up a little bit and can kind of weather the storm, and it just doesn't look that way right now. And uh, I'm not feeling really great about him being a leadoff man until he does kind of clear his head. But, yeah, you're right. It is plain to see that there is something that is definitely not right with this guy right at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that's, you know, like mentioning that it, it's just something that's relevant that just adds, you know, that piles on. You know, I'm sure that there's, you know, I, I uh, Steve Stone in an interview this morning, um, or this afternoon, yeah, maybe this afternoon, had mentioned uh, that he served game one of his suspension on Sunday, and then uh, the second game of his suspension is going to be the first game of the doubleheader, and that he's supposed to be back for the second game of the doubleheader tomorrow. Um, but he also did note, um, I don't know if the, if you noticed or not, but uh, it looks like he might have uh, tweaked something on his hand or wrist uh, on a check swing in the game the other day. And uh, I don't know whether that's going to morph into some time off or if it's going to be... You know, <clears throat> an excuse for some time off uh, for him to well, uh, deal with whatever, if there is something else going on with it. I mean, I don't know if you saw on Twitter today, everybody was talking about uh, Tim taking a Southwest airlines flight appa- last night, apparently on some sort of commercial flight without the team and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know whether, I mean, it, it looks like him, but you know, I have no, no idea. It was, I saw a video. It was definitely Timmy. Uh, there's, you know, let's just say that uh, I saw the original poster mm-hmm. of, the, of the video. I don't know who posted it on Twitter, but I do know who took the video. Uh, I believe it's somebody, I'm going to say this tongue in cheek, you're a big fan of. Well, I'm sure. Not. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but let's just say. Uh, Katy Perry's yeah. booty hole. Oh no! Wet butt twenty three. No, 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 yeah, no. Um, uh, I was I was being sarcastic. I, I know who uh, took the original video. Mm. I saw the original video posted in uh, one of my <clears throat> not so favorite uh, Facebook pages, and uh, you know, it it was definitely him. He was on a uh, you know regular old commercial airline and uh you know one of those airlines that doesn't have a first class section so he rode coach with the rest of the world while the team was going one way he was on his way back to chicago uh away from the team so you know kind of makes you you know things that make you go hmm. i don't you know know what i honestly i i really don't want to know um, no, just just like our I, conversations I, I, in here with not bringing that that uh, that whole situation up, really. Um, I just want him to play baseball and play well. And um, well, that's it. I don't really care why he's flying to Chicago, but the fact yeah. that he's flying to Chicago while the team is on their way to Kansas City uh, is a, a whole different question. It's interesting. It's an, uh, it's an interesting he's thing. One, he's only got one more game to serve on his suspension. 
and he was supposed to be back for that second game, and he didn't fly with the team. So that's my concern. You know, why is he not with the team? Yeah, I don't care where he flew, where you know what airport he flew out of, or what airline it was on. Why is he not with the team? That's my concern. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless it was not known by the team, um, I'm going to assume that he's got clearance to go do whatever it is he's got to go do. I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, if that is indeed him and he's got something going on, I hope he takes care of it and comes back and. Comes out like a house on fire, but we'll see. You know, uh, it's been yeah. it's been a long time since we've seen him right uh, and driving the ball, and not just kind of flicking the ball into the opposite field and you know building his counting stats. You know, so I mean, not that he hasn't uh, that he hasn't done some important things here in the last couple of months, but I mean, it's been you know. You're hitting two fifty seven and seventy WRC plus. You're not you're not really uh not driving the offense. You're just kinda of, kind of along for the ride. You know, I mean it's still right. thirty points better than the legend, but uh it's still not good. So Right. Right. Still thirty points below league average. That's that's the killer right there. Yeah. You know, for a guy who's been above average for the last few seasons started out this season above average looking pretty good and then like you said groin injury and you know whatever off the field issues are going on uh it all kind of seemed to coincide right about the time when he uh started to fall apart a little bit here and you know guys go through slumps maybe it's just one of those things i don't know uh like you said hopefully whatever it is he's got going on and whatever for whatever reason he didn't fly with the team uh what you know Whenever he does make his way back to the team, you kind of hope that he comes back barnstorming, you know, catch fire, get out there, do your thing. So, yeah, you would hope. Uh, <coughs> so, you know, moving back to this uh, this Rangers series, uh, Johnny Cueto takes the loss in his first game. Uh, he gives up three runs, but, uh, you know, the thing that I thought of immediately when seeing that he's charged for three runs, the first thing I thought of was, man, if an outfielder could be charged runs and have an ERA, Andrew Vaughn would have a pretty high ERA right now because yeah. he should have caught at least two of those that went out to him in right field that night. And, uh, yeah. you know, have if you have Adam Engel in right field, I understand that you need the bat. That's that's There's no argument there for me that you need the bat. Yeah, you can't leave Andrew Vaughn's bat out of the lineup. Yeah, that's... Not right now. Yeah, the, the, I guess the issue is, um, is that you've got, you know, that was the first day that Robert came back. And what Tony LaRusso was quoted as saying is that he was coming back and he looked like he was, you know, he looked like he hadn't missed a step, is what he said. And for caution, they were going to put him in at DH for his first game back, and then they were going to have him play center field the second game. 
and then they were going to have him sit. And it was a predetermined outcome that that's how it was going to work. Now, my issue here is that he had just had like four days off or five days off or something in a row. And he said that he had felt, uh, you know, quote from Luis Robert was that he said that he felt back to normal for about a week. So if he feels back to normal for a week, and then you bring him up, and the first game you put him in, you put him in a DH, the second game at center field, and then the next day is a day off, and it's and it's predetermined that he's having the day off, like, what are we doing here? I mean, is it day spot? Well, you know? You you know what we're doing here. The, the, the entire organization has been treating these kids, they've been treating them with, with kid gloves. These are grown men. Enough is enough, man. You know, I get it. You've been bit by the injury bug pretty hard these last three or four years. You know, we can talk about, you know, old Herm Schneider all you want. But the reality is, is the White Sox were lucky for so long. And now they're a little bit unlucky. Maybe it's on the coaching or maybe it's on the, the training staff. Maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that's contributing to this somewhere in the organization. But the reality is, is you cannot call yourself a contender at the beginning of a season while behind closed doors, you're telling guys to take plays off. Don't run out to first base because we're afraid you're going to pull a hammy. Yeah. Don't, don't hustle. You know, and we're going to give you all the time off that you want and need. You're going to go and you're going to tell you know, whichever one of your coaches it is that, uh, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. Okay. You know what? We're going to give you the day off. Enough's enough, man. I'm sorry. But uh, I don't put that on the players. I put that on the coach and, and the organization. It's time to take those kid gloves off. It's yeah. time to start acting like millionaire baseball players because that's what most of these guys are. Yeah, there's a handful of guys making lead minimum. Whatever. I don't get paid seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars a year to do, you know, to take time off. Yeah, I mean, I I have to imagine that most of these guys don't really probably want to take the time off either. Um, you know, the guys on that on that uh, that Saturday game that helped uh, contribute to the eight nothing shutout loss, uh, eight nothing two hit shutout loss. To Rudels. Dane Dunning, what's up, Rudels? How you doing? Um, were Pollock and Sheets who combined for an O for six with three strikeouts. You know, while uh, Roberts taking his spa day and getting his cuticles worked on, um, and then Vaughn, you know, like your outfield that day was Vaughn, Pollock, and Sheets, and they went O for nine with four strikeouts. Or sorry. Uh, uh, five strikeouts. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Absolutely brutal. That's, Why are we taking the biggest bats? I, uh, yeah, I, no, don't, I, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. You're going to get me started. And you no, know no, that it's goes. fine. Like we don't need to, get, <laughs> we don't need to get into it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just throwing particular things that, you know, like feelings that I've had over the last week watching this, nonsense and um you know 
trying to make sense of it all. And um, <laughs> I just, you know, there's stuff that I don't get. And I figure I'd bring it up um, just to hear what, you know, bounce it off of you and hear what you have to say about it because there's just, you know, I have to imagine that you're feeling, you know, pretty much the same way that I'm feeling, you know, but, and you got, I uh, would imagine it's the way most white Sox fans are feeling. Now, again, uh, you still got the folks out there that I see it every day and I still can't believe that there are people out there defending some of this stuff, you know, some of the ridiculousness that you see and hear coming from, I mean, it's not just, we're seeing it, you know, over the last month or so, we're actually hearing a lot more leaked from the organization, which is kind of unusual for this White Hawks team. Uh, you know, they usually play their cards close to their chest. And, you know, now we've got players coming out and saying the things that they're saying, like we talked about with, you know, Liam Hendricks and Lucas Giolito saying, you know, there's just no spark or whatever, you know, terminology they're using. There's you know, guys just felt like they could roll out of bed and, and do what we did last season, you know, unprepared, blah, blah, blah. And we're hearing things, you know, the the, the whole Bob Nightingale, you know, there's uh, some discord in the uh, or discontent in, in the clubhouse. And, you know, and then you hear, well, Tony LaRusso saying, well, these guys are being instructed not to hustle. The training staff is giving these guys uh, instructions to do this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I'm just following their lead. Your your Hall of Famer baseball person manager is just following the lead of uh you know the advice of the training staff and it, honestly that's not something you hear from this White Sox teams very often. These comments usually are filtered through someone before you know it comes out, so somebody can actually say, "Hey, you know what? Probably shouldn't say that." You know what I mean? And now here we are. We're going. Wait a minute. What they're saying things, and why are they saying these things? Because there's some of these things are things you're not supposed to say in baseball, you know? Uh, it, 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 it's unbelievable to even think that this is where we are, but you can't call yourself a contender. You cannot call yourself a contender at this point in the season, sitting behind Minnesota and Cleveland in the standings while you're telling guys to take time to, don't play a hundred percent. Don't go all, you know, don't give me 110%. I only want about 70. What? You kidding me? I mean, no big deal. You ask, a, you ask a, a 10, you little leaguer. If anybody's ever told them, you know, we don't want 110% out of you. Yeah. Don't hustle. Don't hustle. <laughs> what? Come on now, man. That is a joke. I don't joke. think I've ever heard any, anybody tell Rudels that at all. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It's an absolute joke. Um, not, These are grown men. Not that I want to be uh, TMZ here uh, oh on this on this uh, edition of White Sox Daily Live, but did you happen to see uh, Dallas Keuchel's mom? Oh, my. Yes, that, I actually enjoyed that little uh, snippet that I saw. Those of you who do not know what I am talking about, I'll go ahead and bring <laughs> it up in here. Um, it's going to take me a second to, to get this ready, but uh, I'll go ahead and... Uh, bring this whole thing up here it's uh fairly entertaining yeah yeah this is good 
And you know, the funny thing that I really love about this is while some Sox fans decided to uh, try to pile on, and she came right back. Oh, yeah. No, she's got got some fire. I'll give her that. Yeah. All right. Here we go. All right. So, Teresa Keichel. Dane is probably glad he got traded. White Sox are a horrible organization. And uh, the White Sox slash, uh, you know, I'll just call them baseball fans because I don't know these people personally. But, uh, you know, somebody says, yeah, he's totally glad he got traded to a useless team that will never sniff the postseason. You're just bitter because your son is an awful pitcher who's now in the minor leagues. I was thankful when the White Sox got rid of him. And her reply is, uh, I am not bitter at all, just stating a fact that is very obvious. Even though he was having a bad year, the White Sox continued to change the pitcher he was. The pitcher he was. Um, well, you know, I don't think necessarily... How about this? They were they were trying to change the pitcher he was because the pitcher he was was a bad pitcher. That would be my response. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can talk about what he did in 2020. You know, but again, small sample size. He had had his struggles before that. You know, granted, okay, this guy was, uh, you know, a former Cy Young winner. What the heck? You know, how many moons ago. But, uh, what the heck is going on here? I don't know, but this is fun. Yeah, what is the deal? Uh, Why does this thing keep on zooming in? What the heck are we doing here? That's awesome. Yeah, that's really bizarre. There we go. But yeah. You know the thing is, is he's uh, he was good at one point. He was good for a short time with the White Sox, but again, you know, he uh, COVID shortened twenty twenty season is hardly the example I would use to say, you know, <laughs> or, you know, if if I'm going to say the pitcher he was, yeah, yeah, it was the twenty twenty season. You know, it was a sixty game season. He was good for a little while, and then. Uh, you know, we've had this conversation. Ricky brought him out for uh, 180 pitches or whatever it was in that game when they were up by eight and nine <laughs> in the uh, eighth inning. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she continues, when you rely on your defense, which the White Sox have proven they don't have, trying to speed him up, slow him down, moving him around the rotation, it changes things. Uh, you know... I'm not saying that she's a hundred percent wrong here. Um, there, there is, of course, uh, some of that uh, that is a realistic um, outside view of what's going on. Um, but as White Sox fans, we can't let that one slide. No, you know, no, I mean, a hundred percent. The reason why this guy's being moved around in the order, and they're trying to get him to quadify uh, himself, you know, with his delivery and everything, is because he's he was not effective. Exactly, one hundred percent on the nose, right there. When you have a six ERA or seven ERA, it, you know, of course they're going to do what they can to try and help you out. Because they owe you another, you know, $11 million or whatever it was when he was let go. Well, you know, on top of all this, damn the fact that 
you know, it was said basically, hey, we were trying to help him change some things, and he just refused. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe the White Sox were trying to change the pitcher that he was. Unfortunately, Dallas was unable or uh, unwilling to change the pitcher that he was. You know, uh, <laughs> there there was uh, there was a lot of uh, talk about him being uncoachable. There's a little bit of that, and then uh, you know, there's the uh, throw the defense under the bus, which you know, yes, I agree. The defense yeah, you can't was really not argue that too much. Yeah, no, you, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the defense was good, but you know, when you go and talk about uh, teammate, you know, t- good teammate 101 class, the one thing that you don't do is blame everybody else because you can't miss bats. Well, that's the thing. You know, the defense is one thing. But, uh, you know, if you can't go up there and make pitches, that's a whole different ball game. You're the one throwing the ball. Now, yeah, the defense, if they're kicking the ball around out there and missing cutoff men and throwing the ball over people's heads, and you know, we've seen them do all of the ridiculous things that they can do, uh, you know, which, again, we don't have to harp on this, but, you know, you and I both kind of put this – unpreparedness and uh, uh, inability to, uh, you know, do the small things in baseball. We put that on the coaching staff. But, uh, you know, Dallas Keuchel is still the one throwing the pitches. And he was getting teed off on. The dude was getting hammered. That's the plane. That's the the long and short of it. He was getting hammered. You know, you take the, the, the defense, bad defense, and errors away. Uh, guess what, lady? He doesn't get charged in earned run when they co- when they commit those errors, and his ERA was still ballooned. So, yeah, you know, sorry, you know, not sorry. Yeah, you get you get the out after the error, and the under unearned errors or the unearned runs don't count towards your ERA. The problem was is that if something happened, uh, his little his mush brain. His his soft mush brain would sit there and freak out that his uh, that his fielders weren't making the plays behind him, and he'd just continue to give up more and more hits. And there's there's such a thing as pitching to contact. There's also pitching to hard contact, which is what he did. He's, <laughs> he pitch, was he's pitching smoke. to barrels. You know, he's not yeah. pitching to contact. He's pitching to barrels, um, which I, I mean, don't know if that's a stat, but it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can't go out there and throw betting practice every time you start a game and try to say that, you know, oh, it's because they tried to change something. Yeah, they're trying to change the fact that you're throwing BP out there every day. That's what they're trying to change. Yeah, absolutely brutal. Um, so the uh, the fourth game of the series, the final game of the Rangers series that the White Sox absolutely had to win so they'd split the series um, after scoring four runs in the first three games. Um, they absolutely had to win, and uh, they finally got a uh, an actual offensive performance out of the team, and um, they managed to score eight runs. And uh, you know, you average the uh, eight plus four over four games. You know, you got twelve, so averaging three runs a game in this series. But we know the real story, Paul Harvey. Um that um 
in reality, they scored two runs in the first two games, and then they got shut out by a team with a lackluster pitching rotation. I mean, say what you want. I I, I love Dane Dunning as a as a pitcher. You know, I thought that he had a lot of potential. However, um, I would not say that I would prefer have they uh, that they had traded Kopech than Dunning. And, no. uh, you know, granted, you know, Kopech didn't have the, the best outing that he's had this year. You know, I'd be the first to admit that. But, you know, allowing Dunning to do what he did to the team and go for two seven hits. innings on one hit. I'm sorry. They must have two hits the entire game. Yeah. Dunning only gave up one. Yeah, Hearn gave up one as well. Right. But they had 12, you know, they had, uh, sorry, 10 strikeouts, which, you know, is actually a, a – pretty high number for them concerned you know where they rank in the uh in in mlb and strikeout but um you know the issue is they only you know like normal you know as they are dead last in walks in mlb they only walked once and you know if the pitcher is going to throw the ball in the strike zone you need to hit it you know like the striking out 10 times is there's just not much no, and their approach, it. you know, you talk about the pitcher throwing the ball in the strike zone. Yeah, he did a lot of that, but he also got them swinging at a lot of garbage. The approach has not changed. That might be the most concerning thing to date. You know, we we we, we keep talking about when are things going to turn around? When is this moment? Is this the moment? Is that the moment? You know, somebody comes up and hits a, a big home run, and or the White Sox pull off a, a late inning comeback and you go, that's it. There's that. There it is. That's the turning point. And you might get that for a game or two. And you're like, Oh, maybe we're moving in the right direction. And then you get that flat offense again, where guys are chasing and flailing and pushing. And it, it, it's, it's one of the most frustrating things to watch. You know, like I said earlier, you, you get these, you get these games where they have an out, offensive outburst of eight, nine, ten runs, and then the bats go dormant for two games. And at the end of the season, you can look at where they rank, you know, MLB stats, you know, team stats in runs per game, and it kind of averages itself out because of this giant outburst. But the reality is, is you're not going to win a whole score two. And if you're only scoring two, Every you know, two out of three games. Well, you're you're going to lose a lot. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot. They got to figure it out. You know, which brings me to another point. You know, I saw another great tweet just recently about Frank Manichino's numbers, and I actually took a screenshot of it. So I'm just going to pull this up here because I want to. You know, oh, about his uh, his team home run ranks. Yes. Oh yeah, it's brutal. Yes. Yes, so I'm just going to read it. I have it here on my phone. I'm going to read it off the phone. Frank Menachino's team homer rankings by year. In 2014, 24th. 2015, 29th. 2016, 29th. 2017, 19th. 2020, I'm sorry, 2018, I skipped. 30th, dead last. 2020. Well, that was, uh, so 20s. Uh, 2018 was, um, sorry, 2017 was the year that uh, 
Stanton and Yelich and uh, D. Gordon and uh, J. Uh, J. T. Real Muto were all going off down in Florida, and I believe right. that that was his team at that time. And then the following year, they traded all those guys, so the numbers went down. So I don't necessarily fault him for that, but I will not excuse all the rest of the numbers. Continue. No. But, okay, so 2020, he comes to the White Sox. First year with the White Sox, ranks third. Right? Or maybe he was, was he was the A's then? I'm, you know what? I'm going to look that up for, for where he was because that's the one thing that I did notice from uh, from that tweet that I was wondering about because I couldn't remember where he was before. This was actually a Reddit post, I believe. It, well, it was, a, it was a Reddit snapshot posted on Twitter. Hmm. Uh, but you know, one thing I did look at for these numbers and, and I'll, I'll finish off. So 2020, he finished, you know, the team finished third in home runs 2021, 19th. And now here we are 2026 or 2022. The white Sox are currently sitting 26th in the majors. Uh, and the one thing that I went back and looked at was the years that, uh, he had moved from team to team and the years where his numbers were a little bit better were his first season as a hitting coach uh, and then fell off over the next season or two after that. So, you know, it, it's to me, it's one of those things that's like, well, maybe things were working. Uh, he really hadn't had enough time to do the damage. And after a full season and another off season, we started to see the numbers tail off again. And you kind of wonder, is this guy screwing with everybody's swing? You know, we've heard rumors about it in the White Sox organization. Uh, Zach Collins was pretty vocal about it after leaving. He was. Uh, you just kind of wonder, like, you and I have talked about this. Uh, guys have been doing these things their whole lives, and for some reason, Frank Minichino wanted to change it. Maraschino, yeah. Maraschino. Yeah, yeah, so I, w- I was right. He was, with the, uh, he was with the Marlins from 2013 to 2018. Um, I was thinking of uh, the A's. I think he played for the A's. That's what I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, he. So the year that he got fired was the year that they traded. You know, the year after they traded basically everybody. So I don't necessarily fault him. Between you know, like the uh, the discrepancy between seventeen, uh, 17 and eighteen. Seventeen and eighteen. Right. But uh, yeah, and like you know, I I kind of have to reference. That when he was in Charlotte in 2019, uh, the numbers in Charlotte were pretty good. Um, granted, it's a launching pad, and he, uh, I believe, he had both Aloy and Luis Robert for for particular points of that season. Um, whether it just be on rehabs or whatever. Um, well, and again, though, it, like I said, if you look at the if you look at his entire coaching career, the first season usually looks pretty good. Yeah. Well, the drop off doesn't happen until season two. I mean, you also have to think at the time people were asking for Menachino, like people are asking for Chris Johnson now because Todd Steverson was the hitting coach and everybody was tired of him as well. So, you know, as Steve Stone said in his uh, in his interview this afternoon on, uh, I believe it was on six seventy. You know, it's not like 
he's going out there and telling guys to swing it, you know, sliders in the dirt. Right. You know, so I mean, there's, there's only really, you know, and I will say that I am one of the people that thinks that, uh, you know, there's definitely something to this hitting approach thing because there's way too many ground balls. And, uh, you know, you've heard his, his statements about, uh, you know, home runs and wanting a bunch of guys to hit 300. I mean, there's definitely an approach thing there. And, you know, with the fact that they're going opposite field so much instead of, uh, and they've, I, I think if I remember correctly, they've got the lowest percentage of, uh, pulled fly balls in in MLB. Uh, there's, there's definitely something to be said about the approach of the, of the hitters, but at the same time, uh, I don't know that getting rid of him is going to fix the issues with this team. Now, you you know? Yeah, you're probably right about that, too. I mean, it's it seems to be an epidemic on this team. Guys chasing stuff down and away. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to put it other than saying you're right. They're, they are professionals who have been playing this game probably most of their life, most of these guys anyway. Uh, But at the same time, when you have what seems like nearly an entire team with a bad approach, you know, aside from maybe Jose Abreu, who's also been fooled by a a lot of pitches down and away this season. You know, as good as his numbers are right now, he has uh, chased quite a bit outside of the zone. Uh, but the only one I don't see chasing really bad often is Andrew Vaughn. He seems to not get fooled by that pitch as often as the rest of the team does. Everybody's going to get fooled by that pitch every now and again. I mean, pitchers are just good. There's a lot of guys with a lot of movement. We talk about spin, spin rates all we want to. Yeah. You know, guys are going to strike out. It's going to happen. There's not going to be anybody out there that's going to go, oh, you know, I only struck out 20 times this year. It doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, the whole team, when they're doing this, it seems like there's a disconnect somewhere with this Major League Ball Club. And, you know, maybe I'm putting too much on Frank Manichino, but it seems to be pretty widespread with this Major League Club. And you, who, who, do you, who do you put the blame on for that? Can you put it on the players? You sure can you can put some of it on the players, but who do you put it on to be out there fixing it and changing that approach? Yeah, I mean, I, at the same time, you know, as Steve Stone said, you know, once the game starts, you know, it's it's the players' responsibility to play, and right. the, you know the the coach and manager's job to do their jobs, and uh, once it gets to that point, you know the player should be held accountable for playing or not playing. You know, I mean, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. We've talked about the, the lack of accountability, you know, to the players and uh, the fact that we still see Larry Garcia being trotted out there day in and day, not, you know, day in, day out. But I mean, like really often uh, the fact that, I you mean, know, he did have a three off day streak. Three games in a row where he was off, I was absolutely flabbergasted by that. Yeah, I mean, just the the fact that the guy's going to finish with like five hundred at, at bats, ish, at least. Um, Your utility man. 
supposedly. The $17 million man. Supposedly. I mean, you know, I've heard uh, conspiracy theories that he was the guy that you were that they were paying to be the starter at second base, and that they signed Harrison as to be, you know, Larry's position as a utility guy. And we've heard that that conspiracy theory before. And I don't know whether or not that's true. You know, what their intentions were. You know, we'll never really truly know what their actual intentions were because they're probably not going to come out and say anything. And they certainly aren't going to want to uh, admit to screwing up because they aren't doing it with hey, anything else that they do. Raycon, we, 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 we identify our man and we go after him. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is uh, another thing that, you know, you look at the, the roster construction for this team. And ultimately, you know, it falls on that uh, three-headed dragon, you know, of Jerry, Kenny, and and uh, and Rick Hahn. Uh, Hydra, I believe. Um, <laughs> Hydra, yeah. You know, it, and the thing is, is that nobody really knows where to. Uh, assess the blame you know and where where to point because it's such a uh you know like a shapeless blob you know other than the fact of what their actual titles are you don't really know who's making you know what decision you know i mean i want to um i would love to be able to point 100 percent at han but you know at the same time you know you look at him and he's handcuffed and uh you know, budgetary, uh, budgetarily handcuffed by his owner, and um, you know, it's uh, we, we had this. Uh, I, I brought up that uh, my tinfoil hat uh, conspiracy theory um, after the trade deadline passed, and really nothing of consequence happened. That uh, you know, what, what motivation does Han have? to uh to really help out TLR when he's not the manager that he wanted and he was hired you know essentially I would assume behind his back because that's clearly not who he wanted considering that the press release had AJ Hinch's signature on it so that wasn't who he was planning on hiring and uh you know like who knows you know I stranger things have happened that somebody's gotten petty you know, about something and uh, kind of uh, just wash their hands of the whole thing and, uh, you know, said, okay, well, you know, if this is the way it's going to go and, uh, you know, he's, he's says he's got everything he needs. So I don't want to, I don't want to trade away any of my top prospects uh, and nobody else wants any of the lower prospects for uh, anybody that they want to trade then, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to help him. And, like, you look around, you know, I brought this up uh, on the last episode that I had the feeling that possibly that the Mariners had screwed up the trade market uh, by trading away too much to get uh, Luis Castillo from the Reds. And uh, you look around 
and you look at the Cubs, and they've got, they still have uh, Hap, they still have Contreras, both of whom they wanted to trade. The Giants have Rodon still, and they still have Jock Peterson, even though they're, Rodon has an opt-out, so that probably made him difficult to trade because they don't want to give away you know, prospect capital, right? They, yeah, they don't. They for don't a guy wanna, who's only going to be a rental for the rest exactly. of the season. You know, he gets traded to somewhere he doesn't want to be. He invokes his uh, his walk. He walks out the door, and it's just a rental. And then you give up big prospects for for Rodon, which that one I understand. But Jock Peterson, yeah, Jock the, Peterson should have been in high demand. Giants weren't. Giants aren't going anywhere. So, uh, you know, with the. Dodgers in your division, and then the Padres trading for everybody. Everybody, you know, they should have been like, okay, well, uh, and like the only the only thing that I've heard uh, that makes any reasonable sense was that the Giants want to maybe uh, they kept him around because they want to extend him after this season, and that's why they didn't trade him. But I mean, how much truth there is to that, I don't know. It's just you know, it's just uh, you know a theory that somebody threw out. I think it was uh, Cody Decker that mentioned it. Um, you know, I there's you look around and all these guys who everybody thought were going to be on the move, a bunch of them didn't go anywhere. So. You know, I you know I, I'm sure that Rick Hahn, when he was saying, "Hey, I want this guy," you know, I want Jock Peterson. They're like, "Give us, you know, yeah, Oscar Colas, We want, yeah, we want Colson Montgomery, exactly. Oscar Colas, exactly, and Norhe Vera. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'd ask for all three of those, but even if they asked for one of the three, and then a couple of other guys, Rick Hahn's probably thinking, well. Colas is going to be a starting right fielder next year, probably within a month. You know, if not from the right. beginning of the season, Colson Montgomery, right. I'm not trading, and Norhe Vera, I'm also not trading. Christian Mena, probably the same thing. I don't want to trade him either. It's probably right. like there's probably like five or six guys that he's like, unless it's for something like a Juan Soto. Or Shohei Otani, I'm not trading any of these guys. You know, because I don't think that the return on the trade is going to justify me giving away potentially, you know, a linchpin in our rotation or, you know, an all star for the right. next three, four years just for a guy that's, uh, you know, I mean, Soto, two and a half years, and Otani a year and a half would be awesome, but they pulled Otani off the trade market, and uh, Soto, you know, for what the, the Nats got from the Padres, the White Sox were not would not no. be able to compete with that. So That was that was an absolute haul. Absolute haul. Yeah, that's probably quite a win-win. Quite possibly the biggest at least in my lifetime, the biggest mid-season trade deadline move. I mean, that was, that was, you know, if you want to call something a blockbuster, that was the one. 
Yeah, that I was mean, definitely you a, never that was see huge. a guy that's what twenty three years old or whatever get traded when he's on a Hall of Fame path. Like nobody ever does that, and they certainly no. don't trade away. Like, and then you get four. You, you you trade away four guys in the top ten of an organization that's got a somewhat decent. I mean, they got a pretty good farm system. You know, we're every not talking about one of those guys is good. Every single right. one of those not, prospects is good. You're not talking about a, a bottom of the barrel farm system where you gave away four of your top ten, and you know maybe in another you know better farm system, you know three of those guys would have been in the you know the bottom ten or you know the bottom part of the top thirty. No, these were four guys. I mean, one of those guys was ranked in like the top ten of all prospects. Well, we did number yeah. two, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, second best prospect in baseball, at, at least at one point. Um, they, I'm trying to think when of, he uh, when he got added after. I'm trying to think of the ratings, I can't remember off the top of my head what the. Uh, Either way, uh, it was you know, it, it was a haul. I guess is my point. We don't really need to yeah get into specifics. And the White Sox, you know, your point is the White Sox aren't going to do that. Nor I don't think they really could have done that. To be honest with you, and continue to stay relevant the next, you know, three, four, five seasons and, and, and stay competitive the way they wanted to, the way that they have, you know, done this throughout the rebuild. Uh, you know, we knew that the, the, the farm system was going to kind of drop in rankings because we knew the top guys were going to graduate and make their way onto the MLB roster. And then there was going to be a little bit of a gap because there was a bunch of prep drafts, you know, uh, it is what it is. This is not something that wasn't part of the plan. You know, White Sox fans have a difficult time understanding this, it seems, that we, oh, we went from one of the the top three farm systems in baseball down to the bottom. Well, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. You know, this is not shocking whatsoever. Uh, some of these guys are going to rise back up to the top and graduate, and the farm system will move up with it, you know, the rankings. But rankings aside, they're just rankings, you know, and we got to stop looking at that number and start looking at the players that are in the system. And we've got some guys that can do some things in the system. The, the, the issue that I have and that you and I both have this many times on this show is that they overvalue some of those guys that have been in their system for a while that are no more than organizational depth right now. And, you know, the other thing is, is Sox fans seem so absurdly angry with this, the way this trade deadline went. And all I have, I have one question, you know, if you're in the chat or if you're listening on the podcast, you know, sometime later on this week, I've got one question. What did you expect the Sox to do? Did you expect the Sox to go out and give away, you know, two or three of our top 10 prospects to go out and get one player of consequence? And if so, do you think there was one guy out there, even if that one guy is Juan Soto, do you think Juan Soto puts this team over the top to compete and contend for the World Series? And I would have to say, in my personal opinion, no. It, I mean, sure, would his offense help? Which he's actually having an offensively down year for you know Juan Soto. But still again, really like good. you said, he's only 23, and he's yeah. still pretty good. But, you know... There are holes. There is more than one hole in this team. 
you know, the bullpen has not been what it was touted to be. Starting pitching has seen its share of struggles with a couple of injuries and guys trying to pitch through injuries. And then, of course, we've been talking about it for what seems like a century. There are giant holes at second base and right field. And Juan Soto cannot pitch twice a week, play right field, play second base, and hit 150 home runs to fill the gaps that this team needs. Sorry. It's not going to happen. So is it really worth it to dump whatever talent you do have on a guy who's going to want, you know, $500 million in two years? Yeah. No. I. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I mean, we had this conversation last week. I. I mean, Juan Soto or Otani, maybe that changes uh, things for the White Sox this year. Uh, does it make the White Sox uh, World Series favorites? The problem with that is is that you still have all of the other issues with the roster once you get those guys. Juan Soto, he might, you know, hit 315, 320 with, uh, you know, a 900 to 1,000 slugging or a 900 to 1,000 OPS. But the issue is that you're still going to have these guys that are on the roster that have 70 WRC plus, and they're still going to play. I mean, yeah, you're taking the right field issue out of the equation. Finally, um, which would have been awesome. I'm right, not but then you're creating you're creating another issue. Then you've got Vaughn and Aloy. DH and Abreu, DH, Yasmani Grandal. You know, and Grandal's not doing anything. Do you sit him and play Zavala every game? And, you know, use Grandal as the backup catcher because Grandal's not doing anything right now. I don't know. I mean, it's just like the, you know, Grandal's uh, season stat line so far has left everybody wanting. (laughs) You know, and, you know, I saw him drive the ball in Charlotte, but as soon as he comes up to the White Sox, he's not driving the ball anymore for whatever reason. It just looks like he's. You know, not hitting the ball hard, and uh, you know he's got he's got a couple of extra base hits, but you know it's a, again it's a singles hitter and a walk. That's that's what you're well, getting out of him, either that or a or, or a an out. Again, there's 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 no fire in this team, and you've got your leader in the form of a manager who wants to be everybody's buddy which is pretty much exactly the opposite of what we thought we were getting. We thought we were going to get an old, hard-nosed, crotchety Tony LaRussa who is not going to get along with the younger players. And instead, we got the guy who wants to come in and be their best friend. And, you know, this the, the, the Hispanic players love him because he speaks Spanish with them and they can be buddy-buddy and, you know, my door's always open. You can come talk to me about anything. Tim Anderson calls him his best friend, you know, which is fine. But there's that lack of accountability that you talked about earlier in the show. He's not forcing anything on anyone. There's no fire. He's literally falling asleep in the dugout in the first inning. 
it's, you know. Then you got Jose Obreu, which I don't know if you saw the post-game interview with him yesterday through his, you know, interpreter, obviously. But basically, he says, you know, I can only control what I can control. You know, and I'm paraphrasing here. You know, uh, I just go out there and give my best every day, and that's all I can do. And uh, everything else, you know, I really, I have no control over. And, you know, you said it, it was either last week or the week before, that Jose Abreu has never really been that vocal leader. But, you know, he's been looked at as the team leader for a long time. If not for anything else, his ability to maintain his numbers year in and year out, even if he gets off to a slow start. Uh, that doesn't sound like much of a leader to me when you say, "I, ah, you know, I can go do what I can do, but, you know, the rest of these guys screw up. They're on their own, basically, is what it sounds like he's saying to me. Uh, I'm not going to be the guy to push buttons and rev everybody up. Well, who is? Nobody. Who is? You can't expect a yeah. freaking – you can't expect your closer who spends his time in the bullpen game, game in and game out to be the guy to fire up the offense. Come on, man. Ugh, it's it whatever. <laughs> I you know I just want to see something. I want to see something. I want to see some form of life. I don't Plain I simple. don't know if you're going to get that this year. I mean it's certainly you know, I mean it's possible, but uh with uh what this team has done so far, I think it's 7 and 5. Uh, in their 19 game stretch here, um, if they don't uh, knock it out of the park for the next couple of days to uh, to do this, you know, it's entirely possible that uh, they just wasted uh, another couple of weeks of trying to, you know, just sitting here keeping pace with the Twins, keeping pace with the Guardians, but not overcoming them and even after this week you know if they if they get themselves into first place you know you look at the schedule and uh things get a little bit different after you know like the the you know just playing tomato cans which you know teams that they should be beating you know once we get past uh once we get past this week Things change a little bit, you know. They got to play again. They got four game against the Astros. Then they got three games against the Guardians, and then they got uh, one single game in Kansas City, which is yeah, odd. that's an odd one. Yeah, why they just didn't throw it on as a doubleheader on the uh, on the two game or the uh, was it uh, three game series after that? Mm-hmm. Um. Why? Why they just didn't throw it on as a doubleheader there, and they just threw it in on an off day in between the Guardians and the Orioles? I don't know. But then you know, then they're at the Orioles. All right, flying so, right from Kansas City, fly into Kansas City for one. Yeah, and it's then, just, uh, and then get know, right back on a plane and fly to Baltimore. Yeah, and you know the Orioles. I mean, they did uh, they did trade their closer and they traded Mancini, so they're not exactly the same team that they saw earlier. Uh, still playing good ball. Still playing decent baseball, you know. I mean, they're not. Uh, you know, Mancini was. I think he was like the leading the team in uh, average and uh, and slugging. Uh, maybe slugging as well. Uh, OPS, maybe. 
Yeah. He was like right up there for the Orioles, and he's not. You know, he wasn't even really like hitting that many home runs because they changed the uh, the fence configuration at uh, Camden. So, but they're they're still a decent team. So if they don't if they don't take care of what they've got going for the next you know seven games uh, through till next Monday. You know, I mean, you might be able to kind of stick a fork in it if they go 500 again, and one of these other, one of these other clubs goes on a run. You know, so yeah. Well, that's the run that everybody in 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 the White Sox fan universe uh, seems to think that the White Sox are capable of. And uh, you know, I wouldn't put it past one of our division rivals to be able to do the same thing. You know, we can talk about the White Sox going on a run all you want, and we can talk about the division rivals. You know, namely the the, the Twins and the the Guardians being ahead of the White Sox and having a, a little bit tougher of a schedule than the White Sox do here on out. You know, uh, but this is probably the easiest stretch for a little bit for the White Sox, and you know, it's I wouldn't put it past the Twins. To go on a run themselves, so you cannot continue to play 500 baseball, or you know, one up, one down, one above, one below, you know, two above, two below. You you can't do it. It's it's not sustainable. And think that you're going to be able to make the playoffs and eke it out at the end at some point. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, this is not a recipe for success. Um. We'll see. We'll see. You know, at the end of this week, if we're still treading water, and uh, even if the the uh, the Twins or the Guardians don't do anything, uh, you know, if the if the White Sox play five hundred baseball, I mean, granted they can't because they got seven games coming up, so they can't technically play five hundred. But you know, say they go four and three over these next seven, you know, if. Uh, if yeah, not exactly awe-inspiring. Yeah, if their wins and losses don't correspond with, uh, you know, with the other teams, conversely, you know, they're not going to gain any ground. So, yeah. uh, we'll see. We'll see it, what happens. You know, it, it's it's frustrating. It, you know, feel like there's that broken record again, uh, but. You know, the broken record that we have on this show is because of the broken record that we watch on a nightly basis with this team. Yep. It's the same thing. It's it's one up, one down. It's, you know, one game with an offensive outburst and two games, three games where you, you don't get much. And maybe you pull out a one-run win somewhere in between there where you win two to one because you get a, a Johnny Cueto gem. In or, there, or a Dylan Cease, yeah. Cease yep. gem. And, uh, you know, you're able to win a two-run ball game. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, to say the least, and we talked about this a little bit in the past, too, was, you know, maybe the Sox, the White Sox, this White Sox team had a date where they were going to stop babying these guys and kind of, you know, start to push and take those kid gloves off. And, you know, all right, we had a uh, we had a little bit of a late start to camp this year because of the, uh, the lockout and, you know, after the all-star break, we're going to, we're going to stop the gas and we're going to go for it. We're going to give you guys a little bit of a break early on in the season so that you're ready to go at the end of the year. 
and it doesn't seem like that date has come yet. You know, honestly, no, we're still I, wait- I, we're still waiting for those uh, those scheduled off days and uh, getting serious. We're still waiting for that data to come. Yeah, to and you know, obviously, it's all speculation. But you would you're kind of as a Sox fan, kind of that's what's going on. You know that at some point they're going to get okay, enough's enough. Now we're going to go all in. And uh, and the only reason I even speculate anything like this is because we saw a little bit of it last year where, you know, and a lot of it, again, was where it seemed like they were kind of not full speed until like the last month, month and a half or so. And it took them a while to catch fire. And then finally, the last couple of weeks of the season, they, they started to, you know, edge out a little bit more. Yeah. And then you get destroyed in the playoffs. And you got to think. Well, is that because they didn't have that winning culture bred into them earlier in the season where they just weren't prepared for the level of baseball that they were going to meet in the postseason? And, you know, I only my only hope is that they don't wait too long like they did last season. And maybe, maybe a couple playoff series wins here if this team plays the way we know they can. We've seen them do it. We've seen it. We just haven't seen it consistently. Yeah, in spurts we've seen it. That's 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 the issue, and you know the fact that they completely ignored scouting reports that the Astros hit fastballs extremely well and didn't pay any attention to it. Well, but, yeah, there's know. that. Um, so <laughs> now we're asking the asking the White Sox to uh, come out firing, and uh, game yeah. one you've got Lance Lynn the. Uh, Royal starter still TBD, as is the game two starter for both clubs in the doubleheader. Um, I would I'm think that uh, it's going to be Tanner Banks. I was thinking for Jimmy Lambert, time. but or yeah, maybe uh, Jim Bob. Yeah, you know, possibly Davis Martin. Davis Martin. Davis Martin has been the go-to guy for a lot of these situations already earlier this season. That might make the most sense. Yeah, and I think you know, like uh, you know, I you saw uh, Xavier's tweet earlier today about Jimmy Lambert and how great he's been out of the bullpen. I don't know if they'd want to use him in a spot start with how but how, with how good he's been out of the pen. So it would make more sense that uh, would be Davis Martin. I would Davis think. Davis Martin probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, and moving to Wednesday, they've got uh, Cueto against uh, Chris Bubich. And then on Thursday you have Cease against Grinky to uh, to close that series out. So I you know I look at the pitching matchups for the last two games, and I like the I like those matchups. I think that those matchups are favorable to the White Sox. However, Absolutely. we've seen what happens in Game One of series. And the fact that game one happens to be game one and two, um, I mean, it could be that, you know, we're looking at uh, splitting a series again, losing the first two games of the of the doubleheader, or, you know, losing the, both games of the doubleheader and then winning the next two games. Who knows? All I know is that that's not what I want to see. No. I mean, I don't even want to – we're talking about the Royals here. There's no reason why they shouldn't go and sweep this series other than, you know, actual reality 
and the stats that the White Sox are putting up. You know, what the expectations are for this White Sox club and every, literally every outlet from here to Timbuktu said that the White Sox, you know, potential should be killing the Royals and sweeping them through this series. But as we've seen against subpar pitching, good pitching, doesn't matter. It's like it's always 500. Yeah, so, you play, they just seem to play down to the level of talent they're playing against. And it's... I can't... I but just waiting for that rise up. I don't know as if it's necessarily that they're playing down... Because if they're playing down when they go 500 against a better team that's better record-wise, are they playing up? I don't know. To me, it just seems like they're not this playing they up are. or down. It's just that's <laughs> what they are. You know, it's just a, a terminally 500 club. You know? <clears throat> they are who we thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dallas Green. Yeah, I I'm mean, sorry, Denny Green. Yeah, De- yeah, Denny Green, not Dallas Green. Uh, no, I mean, Dallas. you know, we're we're at 108 games through the season here, and they're two games above 500. Uh, you know, I'd like to say that uh, I had them predicted for finishing at 95 games, but I didn't. I had them finishing at 83 games, two games above 500, and winning the division by one game. Yeah, what did I say? Eighty nine, I think it was. I don't know. I'm uh, not feeling good about that prediction right now. Yeah, I wouldn't. You know, they got to win what thirty four more games. I don't know about that. <laughs> you know. It, yeah. Well, I also said the reason they might, you know, make a splash at the deadline. How wrong I was about that. But you know what? I'm glad they didn't because I just didn't. I honestly didn't see the reason for it. Uh, you know, people talk about the White Sox standing pet, you know, whatever. You know, they did. They went out and got Jake Diekman. They needed a little bullpen help. He's uh, been good. Rick Hahn, Rick Hahn pretty much told us that was uh, what was going to happen. We hoped that, you know, he was playing his cards close to his chest again on that one. We hoped there would be more. But there really wasn't, you know, the team didn't give him a reason to do more. You know, like you said, why should I go out and do anything for Tony La Russa uh, when Jerry Reinsdorf basically hijacked my rebuild by hiring this guy? And the other thing is, is, you know, the level of talent that was on the field that should have been doing more already has not stepped up to do it. So why on earth should I go and leverage the future just to get one guy that maybe gets us through a playoff series win, and then we get bounced, and we're back to square one. Yeah, that's that. That was that was my thinking on the on the trade deadline. Is you know, I'm all for getting this team better, but I don't know that uh, anything that they would have done short of getting Juan Soto or Otani was okay. really going to move the needle even remotely I mean yeah would it get them to the playoffs yeah maybe sure. you know but I don't I don't have confidence that it was going to be one of those things where it was going to win them a playoff series right how deep are you going to go in the playoff series 
you know, when I look at the teams that are leading the playoff races right now, and I, you know, even when I look at some of the, the wild card teams and I compare them to the White Sox, and I think to myself, yeah, there's a chance the White Sox get bounced in round one again. They don't even make it past the first round with the extended playoff format. Yeah. Meaning there are a handful of even lesser valued teams that are going to be in the playoffs. And I don't, I don't trust that we can beat them. Yeah, that's tough. In a, in a, in a five-game series. I don't. So, you know, what's the point? Yeah, that's... What's the point? I'm not going to argue that point with you because that's pretty much where I st- stood on it, you know, is that unless they got something that was really, really huge, like ground-breaking trade, like that Soto trade, had they done that, I would have been... Let me ask you this. Good, you know? Since- you know, you brought it up earlier, actually, and I, I probably should have asked you then because I did think about it, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to step on you because you were making some pretty good points at the moment. But uh, you know, since we're back on this trade deadline thing, and I know we kind of jumped around a little bit this show, but you know, we're, we made our way back here somehow. Uh, you mentioned guys like Andrew Vaughn, Aloy Jimenez, Gavin Sheets, Yasmani Grandal. All kind of those, uh, you know, DH type players that, yeah, sure, they're all finding their way onto the field, but we don't necessarily want to see them in those positions nearly as often as they are. Uh, I saw, I actually had a conversation with somebody on the socials about, well, we got five or six of these first base slash DH type guys. Going into the the midseason trade deadline, why don't we just get rid of some of them? They're all we still have five or six of those guys on our team. Now let me ask you this: Do you think there was anybody out there that would have been a trade partner for these guys besides maybe Andrew Vaughn? Because I, you know, in my opinion, Andrew Vaughn is to playing first base, and if you look back at the White Sox history. You know, uh, I believe they were talking about it on the broadcast. Was it yesterday or the day before? About how uh, the White Sox have had uh, only one other starting opening day first baseman besides Paul Canerco, Frank Thomas, and Jose Abreu. Over, you know, over like the since like nineteen ninety something. I don't even remember what it was. Ninety seven. And uh, I need to be honest with you, I don't even remember who the one guy was. guy that was in there. Oh, it was uh, Norton. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, knowing that and, and knowing that Andrew Vaughn looks like he's probably the heir apparent for Jose Abreu at first base. All those other names I mentioned, let's just say we're not trading Andrew Vaughn. Do you think there would have been a buyer or a taker for any of those other guys who, you know, maybe you get something for Aloy, but Aloy's been hurt more than he's played. I don't think that would what matter kind of, with what, him, but yeah. What kind of, well, I guess my question is, what kind of value you get for Yasmani Gangal on, on a big contract where he hasn't really produced in about a year and a half? Yeah, he's not. I mean, they'll, like, they're not buying He had that. some time the second half of the season last year where, you know, he kind of put it together and hit a bunch of home runs and whatnot. But, I mean, 
you know, he had his struggles last year. He's had his injury issues this year. Same, much of the same, a lot of injury talk and, you know, IL time and, and struggling. You getting anything of value for any of these guys right now? I don't think for Grandal with his uh, with his contract, you're not getting anything for him. Sheets, I don't think you're getting anything for him. Anything realistic, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, other than Vaughn and Abreu and Aloy, those guys, yeah, you'll get you'll get significant value for those guys. But the thing is that the, the White Sox aren't trading any of those guys. Well, let me ask you this. How many contenders or teams that think they can contend in the postseason are looking for first baseman? Most of these teams, pretty much, most of these teams that are leading the playoff races right now have that first base DH guy locked down for the most part. So, again, even if you were going to trade Jose Obreu, which, you know, we all know the Sox aren't going to do because he's, he's a lifer. You know, he's pretty much been given the keys to the city already or, the you know, the keys to the White Sox kingdom. You know, he's going to be another one of these guys who's going to be ambassador until the day he dies for the White Sox organization, you know, after he retires. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, Aloy, maybe you get a little because he is still fairly young. And when he is healthy, he hits the daylights out of the ball. But, you know, I don't know. I just figured I'd throw it out there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a valid question, you know. Is uh, there's also the the thing that a, a lot of teams do is that when they've got guys that are rule 5 eligible coming into the next season that if they don't think that they're going to make the 40 man roster, they'll deal them if they don't have the open spot and you know like the thing is, is the White Sox 40 man is a train wreck. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, the, the roster construction is not good right now. I mean, it, it's there, there's too many of the same player, you know, varying skill levels, obviously. But I mean, there's there, there's too many players of the same skill set. There's too many just random bullpen arms on the forty man. You know, I mean, like you got what well, Johan Ibar is on the forty man now. I don't think that he's going to remain there, but he's on there, right? You know, like you got a couple of guys that uh, like I does he even need to be protected? No, that's that's my right. that's my whole thought is that's my whole point is that why is he taking up a, a spot on the forty man when nobody is going to snatch up Johan Ibar? Nobody's like, even looking at him. I'm sorry. They're not. Because he doesn't pitch. <laughs> he hardly ever pitches. You know? I mean, he... Uh, uh, I'm going to look him up right now. Just because I'm curious. He's, but he's, he's only 23 innings on the season? I don't think it's even that much, he's to be even, honest with you. <laughs> uh, um, let's look here. La, 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 la. He has... Oh, I got... Okay. I'm wrong. He's got 27.1 innings pitched this year. Okay, yeah, but again, it's it's we're we're coming up on the middle of August, so it's still not a ton. That's true, and he hasn't pitched since August 5th. Oh, he hasn't pitched uh, before that. You know, like he he just now is getting back to pitching. You know, and he's got like a he's got a, a 
a seven, uh, what is it, uh, 7.24 ERA and a 1.87 whip. Like, but we need to, we need to protect them because somebody's going to scoop them up. Rule five. I, I just don't. Yeah, it's, I just don't. <laughs> like, if they're going to grab somebody in a rule five that who they have to keep on their roster, this right. ain't him. Right, you're not grabbing somebody. That's the thing. All other people fans don't realize that rule five draft when you didn't scoop even happen last up, year. Right, didn't happen last year. But this year, when if somebody gets scooped up. They have to go on your right. You can't just stash them somewhere. You can't just say, oh, this guy might do my organization some good, you know, two years from now. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's you I'm looking on your roster. I'm looking right now at the rule five guys that are eligible after this year. And there are three guys that really stick out to me as guys that you might lose if you leave them available. Luke Schilling, who's just now on rehab assignment. Uh, he's at uh, with the Barons right now. Um, Luis Mieses. About a week and a half ago. Uh, yeah, roughly. I think to to uh, the beginning of the last series. So yeah. Um, Luis Mieses, who's with the with the Dash right now, and uh, he he's, you know, twenty twenty screwed things up with uh, the minor leagues and. You know, right. ate up a year of his, of his, uh, of his development, which moved up what's his timetable. You know, oh hey, what's up, Xavier? How you doing? Yes, go Luke, indeed. Um, and Luis Miesa is leading the uh, the the Southern League in doubles. Right. You know he's he's doing some things, and he looks like he's made a, a step. In his in his progression of his of his development, but the thing is, is that you know because they signed him when he was uh, eighteen, or uh, yeah, I think I think eighteen, yeah, eighteen because uh, four years, so you know now he's rule five eligible. So you're probably going to want to, I would assume that they're probably going to want to try and protect him but he might not be protected he might be just a casualty of the rule five if they actually decide to have the rule five this year the other guy um and this is a weird one i kind of i could see that they would protect him but i think that the uh three-year leuri contract may have made it so Somebody could grab him because, and I honestly think that Zach Remillard could absolutely be picked up by somebody, kept on the forty man, and one hundred percent contribute to a winning team as a utility man. Yeah, I agree. And he's he's eligible. Yet I agree. He's a little bit older than your average prospect, but uh, you know he's doing some things. And yeah, he's twenty eight. Doing it in a couple different places. Yeah, he's twenty eight. He's, I mean, he's made his, uh, he's made his major league debut, and he doesn't look out of place. He doesn't look like he doesn't belong. He is a team player. Plays well, actually. Uh, you know, we retweeted tonight uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter. We re- retweeted uh, an milb dot com article about Zach Remillard, and. Um, 
you know, he's been, you know, we've talked about him quite a bit on this on this stream slash podcast at Zachy Flats. Uh, what is it, Zachy Flats Seven? Yeah. I think. Um, you know, he's a very solid baseball <laughs> player, world champion yeah, in college. You know, he's, uh, you know, after having a some rough time last year, he's come out this year and looked pretty fantastic. And, you know, they go out and spend, you know, we talked about this so much about how one thing that the White Sox have done is produce guys with that particular skill set. And you signed one to a three-year, $17 million contract before this year because he hit a home run in the playoffs or for whatever reason, because Tony LaRusa loves him and uh, has his uh, Super Joe infatuation with uh, with Lowry now. You know? I mean, it's just... I, I 100% believe that if if he's left out there, somebody will grab him because everybody needs a utility guy, and he's the kind of guy that any team could use. And he's, you know rotting in triple a while we've got larry garcia with a 40 wrc plus yeah uh anywho um so this week we'll see what happens um important week coming up here you know i mean we've we've said that uh numerous times that it's a uh important uh you know with this this stretch of Technically bad opponents who the White Sox can't seem to get above 500 against. Um, you know, they're, they're doing this again coming up this week that if they don't, at some point it's going to come up where if they can't take care of business, even against these teams, you know, in these series against the, you know, bottom feeders of all the divisions, Kansas City, Detroit, you know, I mean, even to a lesser extent, even the Orioles and, you know, and then the Red Sox when they were playing them, you know, they if they can't get it done against these teams, eventually it's going to hit a point where it doesn't matter what they do, you know, because yeah, no, somebody it's, else it's will not. get hot. So they need Absolutely. to, they need to, uh, crap or get off the pot as they say. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, you got anything else for tonight, man? No, that's pretty much anything it. Anything you want to get off your chest? Uh, I think I got a lot off tonight. I do too. Yeah. I do too. You know, we started off the show. We, we talked about things, you know, obviously the last couple of, uh, series and, and some of the things we've seen over the last week. And then I feel like the show kind of went in the same direction. It, it, it has a lot lately here where I feel like, uh, you know, we're uh, we're rehashing a lot of the same thing, different which, points at you least. Know, you know, different, different things points, to talk about. Right, it's different points, but it's all kind of you know in the same direction. And we've said this, yeah, you know, probably. I don't know. We've we've said this every other show for the last two months, where it's not really our fault because we are working with the content we are given by this club. Yep. And if we sound like broken records, I just want you people out there to think you agree, if you agree with me on this to uh, you know just take a look at the White Sox team and tell me 
why it is that we sound like broken records. And are you not? Are you not entertained? Because well, I'm not. I have there are entertaining moments in these games. You know, Andrew Vaughn hitting that two run bomb yesterday. Uh, field was uh, a nice moment. And uh, the beginning, probably of the of that White Sox offensive outburst that we saw yesterday, aside from the one run that was scored before that two run homer, but uh, you know those moments are nice and they're entertaining. But honestly, it's just the same old, same old with this team. And you know, I hopefully we're not giving you the same old, same old here. Well, see, that's the might thing. be the same old kind of feeling. We try to bring new points and, that's, and that's new uh, stats and references there's, along with us. But. There's always the Leurian TLR complaints for like some of the nonsense that goes on there, but it seems like there's always some sort of new thing to talk about that is just off or backwards or just seems like an odd decision. It seems like, uh, you know, Things are yeah. going weird, you know. I, yeah. I don't know. And it's, just uh, when you thought, when you think they can't get any weirder, they, they they give us something. They feed us. They feed us something. I just wish they would feed us a little positivity. You know, I don't mind wacky and weird, but let's get wacky and weird on the winning side of baseball. Yeah, I was gonna say I like weird, but like in a seven-game winning streak, kind of weird. Right. I would enjoy that right. kind of weird because that would truly be weird because it's something that we have not experienced yet this year. Yeah, um, no, give me give me those give me those Yolmer Sanchez, you know, uh Gatorade bats to uh, you know, talk about on the weird again. You know what I mean? Those moments, th- those fun moments where this team is you know, doing something that makes them happy and makes us as fans happy. Would be good. I'd appreciate yeah. it. Um yeah, so uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter, uh, I am uh, at I Eskridge on Twitter at Danny Miller WSD, as you see on his window right there. Um, White Sox Daily You can go and see uh, pieces that have been written that are on there. Uh, and uh, also you can find this in podcast form every week through there. So uh, you can either get it through there if you sign up for the emails or you can download it on your favorite uh, podcast platform. Uh, thanks for coming in and hanging out and giving us things to uh, chat about. And um, because this White Sox team certainly not giving us a, a lot of super entertaining things to talk about. Um I mean, we spent 15 minutes talking about Dallas Keuchel's mom for crying out loud. Um, so, I enjoyed it, though. I got to oh, say, yeah. I did it's, a little chuckle out of that here yeah, and there. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's entertaining, but, you know, it. it uh, you know, uh, when a lot of negative things come out about the White Sox calling the, the franchise, you know, names and stuff, at a certain point <laughs> after it is questioned, umpteen thousand times at a certain point and you kind of have to look at it and go well what's wrong with what they said and um you know i obviously we pointed out the uh, dallas keichel inept pitching performances but that's besides the fact um 
So yeah, it is besides the fact that you know when she's saying it's a, a terrible organization, I don't know how terrible it is without actually being a part of it. But I, you know, you get some, you get the feeling. I've said it before: where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of smoke out there right now, Bell. Yeah, there's a lot of you know. It, there's uh, a lot of people that complain when they leave, and you know, a lot of the times, you know, it's people that are leaving under. Uh, difficult situations yeah. or uh, underperformance situations or whatever, but there's certain people, you know, that, you know, might not be happy. I mean, you see the performance out there, the, the, the deadness in the, in the clubhouse and just the, uh, the lack of performance. You kind of have to wonder what's going on here and who's going to push it in the right direction. And we'll see if they, uh, if they can manage to pull that off in the next uh, couple of weeks. We'll see. I'll hold my breath. Hold it. Yeah, I'd please don't. Nah, uh, I won't. Calling, calling an ambulance here. Um, <laughs> so thanks for coming and hanging out, and uh, thanks for watching, and uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, everybody that's uh, out there, we appreciate you guys, and uh, come, and, uh, come and see us next week. Uh, be here at the same time, Monday, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, twitch.tv slash White Sox Daily. And uh, thanks for coming and hanging out. We appreciate you guys. Good night.